Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. Good morning, Mercy Commons. It is so good to be with you. Um, I will be, I get the, the privilege of introducing our new series on Proverbs this morning. And as, just to preface things, I've been known to speak pretty quickly. Um, I come from a line of auctioneers, and so I will do my best, but no, this is me at half speed. So, yes, Kilgore Auctions, look them up. All right, so as I mentioned, um, we're going to be starting a series on Proverbs and wisdom. Now, if you grew up in the church, you're probably pretty familiar with the book of Proverbs. It's that book in the Bible with all those short verses that may or may not have been on your parents' coffee mugs or a tactful doily in your grandma's house. Uh, And even if you aren't familiar, Uh, with Christianity or the Bible, um, you're probably pretty familiar with cultural proverbs or sayings like, honesty is the best policy, many hands make light work, and don't judge a book by its cover. Now, all those are great sayings and have some truth to them, but they're also kind of kitschy. And so over the next seven weeks, we're going to be diving into proverbs to see what it has to say about the many different facets of our lives. So whether you grew up in the church or your experience with proverbs is more cultural, Uh, My goal today is to explain what Proverbs is and why it should be an important part of our biblical diet. Um, And that's uh, an interesting thing these days, because right now it really feels like people are telling us all the time, like, the Bible's just kind of an old book. You don't need to worry about it. It's like, okay, there's some nice things in it, but how does it actually apply to us today? Um, Well, my claim, what I believe and what Mercy Commons believe, is that the Bible is not an old text filled with antiquated idioms that don't apply to us, but it provides timeless truths that showcase that God's authority is wrapped up in his love, and he desires that we live well in his good world. Proverbs in particular emphasizes that God is both Father and Lord. He is loving and he's authority. And we have a hard time bringing those two concepts together. Um, We view them as kind of mutually exclusive, that love is one thing and being led or having authority over you is another thing. Um, And I, however, have a unique experience with this kind of pairing, because my dad was my first boss. I, uh, at 15 years old, I went to work for my dad's butcher shop. So I come from a line of auctioneers and butchers. (laughs) That's what you got for guys. Um, And uh, it was an interesting experience, because at 15 years old, I was pretty angsty. I had what, in our home, we call a lot of big feelings. (laughs) And and I didn't want to listen to my dad. I wanted to work for him because that's what I thought I was supposed to do. It's time to get a job, okay. But also, I was pretty scared to work for him because I didn't know what that would look like. Um, I didn't know what it meant for him to be my, be my dad and my boss. At home, I didn't want to listen to him. And at work, I felt like, oh, shoot, I actually have to listen to him. <laughs> I get paid for this. Um, and what I actually found, came to realize was that the meat shop, Gillespie's meat shop, um, was not just a place of work, but it's a place where I got to know my dad. And it's a place where... Um, the meat cooler was the place where he would take me in, and we would talk about some hard things about work. I'm like, hey, we've got this, got this customer coming in. They're really difficult. I need you to, I need you to work on and handle them, okay? Um, I want you to put on your best customer service smile and engage with them, even though I didn't want to. And it was also the place where he would come, he would pull me in when he knew I was having a really hard day. He would talk to me as my dad, um, and he, he sh- I got to learn what it meant to be both shepherded by him and sit under his instruction. Uh, it also looked like not just the meat cooler, but also... Uh, as, the, as the youngest guy at the shop, I was always on closing shift because it was the worst. And uh, my dad would get in at 6 a.m., open up the shop. And then I didn't catch on for a couple years because I was a teenager. But my dad would also close the shop with me. 
And I'm like, oh, man, that sucks. Why would he do that? He did that because he wanted to spend time with me. And so the idea that I have a, a dad who's both my boss and my father, and he loves me and will give me wisdom and will, will um, wield his authority over me in a loving way meant a lot, and it means a lot. So when I look at Proverbs, that's, what, that's my lens, is a father talking to a son. And that's what Proverbs gives us as well. Um, it shows us God the Father talking to his kids. And so as we, as we dive into Proverbs uh, over the next seven weeks, we're going to be covering a lot. So today I want to give us kind of a, a foundation, okay? So we're going to talk about what is Proverbs, why do we read Proverbs, and how do we read Proverbs, okay? Now, in simple terms, what is Proverbs? It is wisdom literature. So the Bible is made up of lots of different types of literature. There's books of poetry, there's books of law, there's the Gospels. And Proverbs fits into this one section called wisdom literature. And so, okay, if it's wisdom literature, kind of what's it there for? And Proverbs, being so wise, starts off by telling, it, telling us, the reader, what it's there for. So let's read it. We're going to be jumping into Proverbs uh, 1, 1 through 9 is kind of our core passage today. And it starts off by saying, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth, let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. For they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. So as we look at this passage, as the book introduces itself, we can kind of see here a process and a structure for how to gain wisdom. So it talks about the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, okay? So that's that's the foundation, the fear of the Lord, and the knowledge is the foundation of wisdom. You can't be wise about something you don't know, okay? That's pretty pretty simple there. And then wisdom is cultivated by submitting to authority. It talks about a mother and a father's teaching, okay? So we have knowledge we, as the foundation. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Knowledge is the foundation of wisdom, and wisdom is cultivated by practicing and submitting under authority. Proverb also reveals timeless characteristics of wisdom. And wisdom is not just a synonym for knowledge. That's kind of what we view um, and think of in our Western culture. But the Hebrew word that's used here for wisdom is chokmah. And that's the same word used in Exodus to describe skilled artists and craftsmen. Okay, these aren't people who just knew a lot of things. They were not just kind of passive observers. They were active participants, skilled craftsmen taking what they know and applying it and making something good in the world. Okay, so this, so these, this idea of wisdom refers to a practical set of skills for living well within God's world. And to know, you know, it gives us this, it says it right in the scripture, to know wisdom and instruction to understand words of insight, to, and wise dealing, okay? It's asking us to move and do something with it, to pursue justice and equity in our world. A very basic example of this is in our home, we got a new espresso machine this summer. It's very exciting. And so we've, we've gotten okay at, at pulling shots. Now, latte art, it's called art for a reason, because it's not a science, guys. We have received a lot of knowledge. We have a lot of knowledge about steaming milk. We've watched a lot of YouTube videos. We've talked to baristas. And right now, we do not have the, um, the skills to apply all that knowledge. <laughs> the most you can do right now is you squint and blur. It looks kind of like a tree from far away. Um, another, another example of kind of knowledge versus wisdom 
um, that I've experienced recently is I, for those of you who don't know, I am pursuing a career in educational counseling, so a school counselor. Yeah, I just graduated this last month, so it's very exciting. And as, as part of that process, um, I spent the last semester spending 400 hours of internship at Troy High School. And my caseload was primarily freshmen who were all at risk of failing out of school their freshman year. Easy task, <laughs> yeah. So these are students who by halfway through the year had failed four out of five of their classes. And my, my task was, okay, help them get their grades up. Help them get their grades up or put them on a list to be referred to continuation school. So it's like, okay, great. I studied this. I spent the last two years learning uh, modalities and methods of how do I work with students? How do I kind of encourage them and get them motivated? What are different study strategies we have and, and plans and tutoring can implement? And that works, works for a lot of students. You know, there's great um, wisdom behind that. But for me, wisdom really came into place when a student walked into my office and sat down. I said, how's it going? He said, bad. And just looked at the ground, wouldn't look at me. And I said, okay. And I knew my task, my, my supervisor had give me, given me, get this kid's grades up. He's going to fail, get his grades up. And so I was like, okay, well, I can look at his grades. That's probably not going to help his, his confidence right now if we pull up all his missing assignments, because there's a lot. I looked at them before. There's, a, there's 60 missing assignments. There's no way he's going to get those up. So do I talk about that, or do I say, hey, okay, well, what's bad? What's going on? And he started to say, you know, high school's a lot harder than I thought it would be. I was getting A's and B's in middle school, and this is so much. It's so fast. I don't understand what's going on. My friends aren't all here. What do I do? And then wisdom in that moment said, okay, we can, we can talk about his grades later. This student needs to know he's okay. He's not alone. He's going to be okay. High school is really hard, guys. Freshman year is so hard. And so for me, it, it went from taking a place of, I know all this stuff in school, and it's great. It's a great foundation. Knowledge is how do I apply it in this situation, okay? And so... What I, what I cared about was this student not just getting his grades, but the student flourishing. And that's what God cares about. Okay, that's what Proverbs cares about. It's us flourishing and helping our world flourish. And so it's different than those books of law like Leviticus. We need Leviticus. Israel needed Leviticus to say, here's what you can do, here's what you can't do. And Proverbs, though, is not law. They're not requirements. They're more so outlining God's framework for his sort of moral, his moral framework for the universe, okay? How he created things, that wisdom is woven to the fabric of our everyday life, okay? It's not an equation you can master, but, and because we live in a broken world, we can follow all of these proverbs, all of these rules, and the exceptions will still happen, guys. And proverbs in the Bible doesn't just ignore that. That's actually why we have the other books of wisdom of Job and Ecclesiastes, okay? We read the whole counsel of scripture because it speaks to every part of our life. And wisdom also doesn't guarantee a happy life, you guys. These are not promises, okay? Proverbs are not promises, they're principles. They're saying, here's how God created the world. As you move with the grain of the world, here's how things will most likely go for you. Tim Keller says it like this. Proverbs is not a set of simple steps to a happy life for quick consumption. A proverb is a poetic art form that instills wisdom within you as you wrestle with it, Okay? And wisdom isn't a character trait or a personality. It's a discipline that equips us to live well in God's world. Okay, we see that in that passage in 8 and 9 where it talks about, Hear, my son, your father's instructions, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Okay, wisdom equips us. These teachings and instructions equip us, and they go with us through life. We wear them. They equip us to say, okay, I'm stepping into this situation. What do I do? 
okay? There's maybe not a, a moral, yes, this is good, this is bad. Maybe it's a lot of gray. Life's a lot of gray. So how do we begin to navigate those? We are equipped with wisdom. And so if we're supposed to wrestle with these Proverbs, like Keller says, how do we do that? Okay, so you need to learn then, how do we read Proverbs? First, we need to recognize its value and purpose. And we can look again at Proverbs 1. It tells us it's for the sake of understanding, of gaining insight, of, of pursuing justice and equity in the world. Um, it's not just this... Um, so when I, when I would read Proverbs growing up, it's like, what are all these weird sayings? They kind of sound like a weird like riddle, like it's a leprechaun who's like, oh, I got all this stuff. Like Proverbs 10.10 <laughs> says, whoever winks the eye causes trouble and a babbling fool will come to ruin. It's like, thank you, bridge troll. Like, why is, like, cool, what do I do with that, Okay. But when we start to look at Proverbs as a whole and understand what it is and its value, we'll come to see um, that these are actually timeless truths about the real-world impact of God's rule and reign, okay? So if God's ruling and reigning, this is what his, his kingdom will look like on earth. So once we recognize its value and purpose, it's really helpful to understand the structure, okay? So we're going to do a brief overview. Um, I'm going to break it into kind of three sections for you guys. Chapters 1 through 9 provides an introduction to the book, which we read part of it, and they're actually written as speeches from a father to a son, okay? So think about my dad and I in the meat cooler, okay? This is instructions from a father to a son of how to live life, how do you move through these different situations. And they also, as we'll see over the next couple weeks, they introduce us to these archetypes like Lady Wisdom, who is the personification of wisdom, okay? And she's contrasted with this character of Harlot Folly, and we'll talk about that over the next few weeks and what they do is they provide a foundation for God's framework for wisdom. Okay, that's chapters 1 through 9. Chapters 10 through, t through 30, uh, they provide examples of wisdom in context. So this is what we all kind of normally think of when we think of wisdom, these short sayings. And what it is is it contextualizes how do we live in God's world, okay? So what do I do with my money? What do I do with my friendships? What do I do with my words? That's what chapters 10 and 30 is all about, 10 through 30. And then chapter 31 kind of culminates in the book as a, a model of wisdom embodied. And this is from a mother to a son. So it starts with a father to the son, ends with a mother to the son, and talks about another very wise woman. Now, I went to Biola, and there was lots of jokes made about the Proverbs 31 woman. She's, you're looking for her. She's your wife. You've got to look for her. Now, Proverbs 31 is not the model for a wife. She's the model for wisdom embodied, okay? With what we should all be pursuing. And we jokes about it all the time. Al's like, if I'm Proverbs 31, I've got to start making all my own clothes. <laughs> it's like, well, she does have a cricket, and we do get some cool t-shirts. That's not what this is about. It's saying that um, it's what wisdom looks like in everyday life. This is what Israel would look to and say, okay, what do we do? What do we do within this world that we are a, we're supposed to look different? We're supposed to be a different people. So this gives us context, okay? And so if we understand the value and the structure, what do we do now as we're reading? We submit ourselves to God's moral framework. <clears throat> Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, Okay? Now, we don't really like this idea of the fear of the Lord. It makes us kind of uncomfortable. We would much rather focus on God's love, his goodness, his grace. But guys, fearing the Lord is not the absence of those things. Fearing the Lord is recognizing both his place and our place in the universe that he created, okay? So he is God. He is holy. He is creator. He is king. And I am none of those things. He gets to decide what is good, right, and just. I don't. This pushes against what our culture tells us every day. If you do, you. Speak your truth. And there's important parts of understanding and sharing our experiences, but guess what? It's not our truth. We don't get to decide what truth is, you guys. 
Wisdom is saying God has, has created this universe. He has set things in place, and we submit to that. And we've always struggled with this concept, okay? Sin, sin entered the world when humanity questioned whether God knows best and if he's truly good. Eve saw the fruit and questioned whether God's goodness wouldn't permit her to consume what was, Genesis says, a delight to the eyes and was to be desired. We struggle with this idea that God's holding something back from us, and especially when we embrace this hierarchy that he is above us. And a simple example of that is, so if those of you who don't know, I have a daughter named Colette. She's nine months old, and her favorite toy is electrical cords. Oh, they bring her so much joy. <laughs> And she, for Christmas, got these incredible toys from her, her auntie that has this, it's this ball that lights up and rolls, and she chases it. She doesn't chase it, guys. She sees it and turns directly to an iPhone charger, okay? And this is not something that someone taught her. It's in her that she thinks, oh, this looks good for me. I want that. And as, a fa- as her father, who loves her, I say, no, no, you can't have that. And she gets angry every time, <laughs> multiple times a day. Um, and that, you know, is a pretty simple example. Um, and we can laugh about, and we say, oh, yeah, we all understand that as a baby and how that works. But what does it look like for us when boundaries get into place in our life, and they're really hard, and they're really painful, and we don't like them? For me, um, this happened a few years ago when Al and I were planning on getting married. We were, uh, I, had, I, had, I had purchased a ring, and I was making plans to propose, and God convicted me about sin in my life that I hadn't dealt with. And... I had the choice to listen to God and submit to his authority and his will and say, okay, maybe this is really an important thing to take to deal with before I get married. And it didn't mean dealing with it on my own quietly. It it meant bringing it to authority, bringing it to community, submitting to Sean and Val and Nick and men and women in this community who would walk with us through really messy stuff. Or we delayed getting married. We walked through really, really hard conversations where there were very clear boundaries put in place. And over and over again, I would sit in my room and cry, listen to worship music and cry because I say, God, okay, help me trust that you're good. Help me trust that submitting to you and your wisdom for me is the right thing. And I have to trust that you're, you are strong enough and good enough. And that might mean that we don't get married. And that felt really scary. And we could say, okay, Alan, I would talk about, okay, if God is, God is, if God is who he says he is, we can trust him, Okay. That's what I want to encourage you guys today. If God is who he says he is, we can trust him with our decisions, okay? So if we understand how we read it, okay, it's there. Why do we read Proverbs? We're not Israel, guys. No one told you. I'm not Jewish, okay? So Proverbs provides us with this kind of framework um, for the relationship God has with us. It's a father to a son and a Lord over his people. And I want to say it equips us at Mercy Commons to contextualize the knowledge of our king's law to a broken world for the sake of our flourishing and the world's peace, okay, for shalom. That passage talks about we're pursuing justice and equity. This isn't just good news for us, you guys. If we submit to the wisdom of God, it's good news for our world. It's good news for Fullerton when Mercy Commons submits to God's wisdom. The catechism says the chief aim of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, okay? We can all agree, yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, what, is, what does that mean? What do we, how do we do that? The way we glorify God on earth is by showing the goodness of his lordship, okay? We flourish when we submit to his rule and reign. And we can only do this 
is because we can trust God's authority because we can trust his character. It's really hard to submit to a boss you don't trust. I worked for um, a digital marketing agency for a bit, and I had to submit to a boss that I did not trust. I did not last there long. He asked me to do things that were not wise. He asked me to lie about a lot of things. And so I said, okay, God, I think I'm going to step out of this as soon as I can to find a job. Um, but it's really hard to trust a boss, uh, to, to submit to a boss you can't trust. And we can trust our Father because he's good and just, okay? Even when we don't understand. God will ask you to do things sometimes that you don't understand. So we have to trust that he is good, that he knows best, and I don't, okay? And we have to hold fast to this principle when our decisions, as we submit to God, will inevitably not look like the world's decisions, okay? They're just not going to line up all the time. Um, and as those of you who don't know, Al and I are foster parents. And just the decision to become foster parents goes against a lot of what the world says to do with your time and resources, okay? To do with your emotional capacity, to do with your family. It's messy. It's hard. And we said, okay, you know, we, we trust that God has called us to this. We're going to do it. So that's, you know, okay, we said yes to what we believe is a good thing. And we've had to say no to a lot of placements. And that's really hard. Within 24 hours of us being certified as foster parents, we got a call about a sibling set uh, of young kids who had been in um, kind of a group home for a while and who had really, uh, they were medically fragile, had a lot of high needs, and we wanted to say yes so badly because that's what we care about. We care about pursuing justice and equity for our world and providing safe homes for these kids where they know they're loved and they can have security. And wisdom looked like us saying, okay, God, we feel like you've called us to do this for the long haul. We want to do this for as long as we possibly can. And we know, after talking with people, we submitted it to authority, talking with my sister and brother-in-law who have been foster parents, who work in the foster care system. If we say yes to this first placement right now, that might be our last placement, just because of how much it would require of us. And that was really hard. Not to mention the fact that Al was three months pregnant. And we knew that, okay, our season, the season of life is going to look really different soon. So God, can we trust that you are good, not just for us, but for these kiddos? And that's really hard, you guys. It doesn't mean we said no every time. We've said no a lot more than we said yes. We also had the opportunity, because we said no to that placement, we had the opportunity a, few, a couple months later to invite a little boy named Levi into our home, who many of you have met. He's a wonderful kiddo. And um, he spent about four or five months in our house, and then he got to go home with his dad. And his, they are coming to our our life group's 4th of July barbecue this week, okay? And that is not saying, okay, it was a hard thing and so things are good now. It's still really hard. Foster care is really hard, guys. I have a hard time um, when we're hanging out with Levi not trying to be his parent anymore, <laughs> okay? And I have to trust that God knows what's going on. God is holding Levi. God is holding Al and I. And so in this last season, as we've had Colette, we've also had to say no to a lot of placements, doesn't mean we say no all the time. We're actually opening up replacements again soon, okay? But that doesn't mean that we don't struggle with these things. doesn't mean we don't submit them to authority, okay? And then I want you to kind of think back one more time to my dad's business, the meat shop. So for me, wisdom wasn't just receiving instruction from my dad. It was also watching him and how he operated his business, okay? My dad didn't go to business school. He didn't go to college at all. I'll tell you right now, the way he ran his business for 30 years is not what they tell you to do in business school, okay? <laughs> Equity for him did not mean more money, okay? It meant pursuing justice and equality in, in our community. My dad's shop was in a low-income neighborhood and was there for 30 years. 
and he priced his products where people could afford them, not where he'd make the most money. He hired guys right out of high school, or some of them who didn't have a high school diploma, and gave them a skill and a trade so they could go get a better paying job later on for 30 years. And God blessed him in that. It wasn't always easy. The blessing wasn't always great. There were four kids at home. There was a lot. There was a lot of pressure. And I got to see my dad pursue, say, okay, God, you've called me to do this. What do you want me to do with my money? What do you want me to do with my business? Okay, so it looked a lot different than the world's standards. And that's what God is calling us to do is submit to him and trust that he is good. He loves us, and we can trust that he has the best, the best for us and our world. And band, you can come on up. So we talk about, you know, why do we read it? How do we read it? Okay, we want to trust God. We want to, we want to get wisdom. We want to submit. How do we do this? Well, my dad will tell you he's a very wise man, and there's many wise men and women in this room, and they'll tell you right now, don't look to them. Look to Jesus. He is the example. And in Proverbs, while we see lady wisdom as this personification of wisdom, and the wise woman of Proverbs 31 as the embodiment of wisdom, Christ is the living and breathing example and working out of godly wisdom. He is the true model of knowing God as Father and trusting Him as Lord. And the, the, the cross is proof of that, you guys. He, he cried out at his dad, if there's any way you can let this pass, do it. And I submit to you. This is really hard. I don't want to do this. And you are good. And I trust you with my life and my death and my resurrection. Okay? Our pursuit of wisdom isn't this pursuit of a concept or an idea. It's truly the pursuit of a person. Yeah. It's of a relationship with Jesus, the one who is wise. Okay, so if you're sitting in a situation where you're like, God, it's really gray. I don't know what to do. It's not wrong. It's not right. Maybe I just, I'm not sure. Okay, run to Jesus. What, would, what does Jesus have to say about it? He wants to sit with you in it. God wants to sit with you in it. God is not a far-off father who said, here's the rules. Let's see how it goes. And he says, here's what I think, here's what it is for you. What do you think we should do? Let's come, let's do this, let's figure this out together. You did that one? That was kind of rough. Those consequences, they're there, but I will also be with you in those. You want to do this thing? Let's do it together, okay? We have a good father and an incredible king who, who exercises authority out of love, okay? It's not one or the other, it's always both and. So this morning, my hope is that over the next seven weeks, we're willing to wrestle with this book of timeless truths and ancient wisdom, we can trust the character of the Father as we submit to him as Lord. And we can do this by pursuing Jesus and following his ways. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you that you did not set the world spinning and leave us alone. God, since the beginning of time, you have, you have desired to walk with us in the cool of the day. You have sent us your Holy Spirit. You have sent us your Son so that we might know what to do, that we might know how to live in your world, that we can trust you as a good Father because you have proven yourself faithful and good. You are the Father who turns and runs towards us the moment we start to repent. You don't wait for us to get to the front door and pound it down. You see us on that path and you run after us. You are the good Father. You are the wise king. You understand things we don't. Your ways look different than ours. They are higher than ours. And God, would we fall at your feet and say, God, we don't know, but you do. God, we don't understand, but you do. Would you help us do that? Would you help us trust you with the really hard decisions, 
with the boundaries you put in place that we don't like, that maybe feel a little restrictive, would you help us remember that boundaries are for our safety and for our good? That we are sheep who are prone to wander. That boundary keeps us safe. God, would you, would you convict our hearts? Would you give us boldness to make the wise decisions? Would you help us come to community, come to authority and say, hey, we don't know what to do. Would you help me with this? Would you remind us that you are above us, that you are creator, you are God, you are king, and you can be trusted, and we can rest in that. That Jesus was the model of that, and we can rest in that. We can pursue relationship with him, and that helps shape us and equip us for wisdom. God, would you be with us now? Would you shape our hearts to bow to you? We love you, and we need you. Again, it doesn't sound like wisdom for God to come in the form of a man to die on a cross, be buried in a tomb, his disciples feeling like all is lost. Scripture tells us the wisdom of God is foolishness to man. And that is our hope. Something that seems so foolish is our hope. That is our our hope that, under, that we understand that God is both Lord and Father, that God is both shepherd and instructor, that God is both loving and authoritative. And it's at the meal that we get to connect those things because it's at the meal that we understand that Jesus was our sacrifice, but Jesus is also our Lord. It's at the meal that we recognize that Jesus was supremely loving, but that Jesus is also supremely authoritative. And I want to invite us as the band continues to play. Uh, there are three tables, two over here that have grape juice and one on the front that has wine. I want to encourage you to go to the table to bring the elements back to your seat. And then we're going to take part in this meal that shows both the wisdom and foolishness that brings us salvation. Let's do that now. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, he broke it, he blessed it, he said, this is my body broken for you, take and eat. covenant and every time you take this meal remember and the disciples when they were taking that meal had no idea what they were remembering other than that moment in that day but as we take it we remember not only the day of our salvation but we also look forward to the day of our final redemption take and drink Jesus we are so deeply, deeply grateful that we come to not a set of principles, to not a 
pattern for living, but we come to a risen Savior who sacrificed himself on that cross and said, it is finished. Your striving is finished. Your shame is finished. Your guilt is finished. You are welcome in the Father's house because my body was broken and my blood was shed. band's going to sing one more song, but I want to encourage those of you that are in a place where it's difficult to see God as both Father and Lord, where it's difficult to see Him as loving and authoritative, where it's difficult to see Him as the shepherd and the instructor. We started this morning with a dad picking up his kid, throwing him in a lake of water. It doesn't seem very wise, yet when we look back on it, it was very wise and very loving. And you might be in that space saying, God, I'm, I'm struggling with the ands of who you are. We would love to pray for you. But then also, as Patrick said, one of, the, one of the key gifts that we have been given with a communal meal is a community of men and women that can actually pray for wisdom and speak wisdom into certain circumstances that you're going through right now. And if you're walking through difficult decisions, we would love to pray with you as our expression of love towards you. So take us forward, band. There are trusted leaders on my left to your right. If you want to be ministered to, we're going to sing one last song and then land. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, Please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.